Good morning, church family. For it is wonderful to see all of you here this morning on what is the first Sunday of the month of August and our last Sunday after six whole weeks in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark. How crazy is that? So yes, church, we will be closing out Mark chapter 8 this morning, and then we will be starting back in Mark chapter 9 when I get back from vacation by looking at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the first Sunday of September. Nevertheless, as for today, we will once again be in Mark chapter 8, looking specifically this morning at verses 34 through 38. And we will be picking up right where we left off last week, where Jesus Christ began to foretell of his death and resurrection, which if you can remember back to last week, church, really did kick off for us the second half of the Gospel of Mark where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, transitioned from focusing on who this man named Jesus truly was in the first half of his Gospel, that being the Christ and the Son of the living God, to focusing now in the second half of his Gospel on what this man named Jesus ultimately came into this world to do. Which again, as we saw last week, church, was far different than what Jesus' disciples initially thought or believed. And I say that because in their minds, church, or according to their own preconceived notion about the Messiah, they thought that the Messiah was going to come into this world and come to power politically, conquer and destroy foreign enemies militarily, and lead the people of Israel nationally. Not, verse 31, suffer and be rejected and killed, and after three days, rise again. And thus, in hearing all of this, Simon Peter then begins to rebuke Jesus Christ to the point that he actually says to him in Matthew chapter 16, Far be it from you, Lord, for this shall never happen to you. To which Jesus Christ then, he replies back to Simon Peter in verse 33, by saying to him, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In essence, get out of my way, Peter. Quit tempting me, Peter, and stop acting like a mouthpiece for that of the evil one, Peter, by trying to persuade me and to convince me that I do not need to die and go to the cross in order to be given the kingdom and the crown which is exactly where, church, we are going to pick up in our text this morning, and which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. For the true disciple of Jesus Christ will be willing to relinquish everything that this world has to offer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. For the true disciple of Jesus Christ will be willing to relinquish everything that this world has to offer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And us at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab 
and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you this morning, since we want each and every one of you here today to have your very own copy of the Word of God. However, the only thing we ask, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles, is that you read it, starting today by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 844, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 8 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 34 through 38 where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how humbling it is just to read that text this morning, the call of this disciple of Jesus Christ, that they must be willing to deny themselves, to take up their cross and to follow him, to forsake everything that this world has to offer, to be willing to bear it all, knowing that Jesus Christ in his glory outweighs everything. Father, at times when we talk about persecution for Jesus' sake or suffering for Jesus' sake, Lord, it is a foreign concept and a foreign idea to our Western minds. So thus I pray this morning, Father, that you open our eyes and that you empower us and that your Spirit comes upon us so that we can see as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, our call to be willing to forsake everything that this world has to offer, no matter what may come our way and that no matter what we may have to lose in this world in order to gain life that is everlasting. That comes only through the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. Father, open the eyes and the ears of these dear members who are here today. Soften their hearts to receive this word. And Father, I pray that I rely completely on your grace this morning. Know that it will be sufficient for us in all that we do and for every good work you have called us to. So, Father, that through the preaching of your word, it may glorify your Son, and it may build up and encourage and exhort your children. 
Do this wonderful work, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. The true disciple of Jesus Christ will take up his cross and follow Jesus Christ no matter the cost. The true disciple of Jesus Christ will take up his cross and follow Jesus Christ no matter the cost. Verses 34 and 35, which reads, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So Jesus Christ, after rebuking Simon Peter in verse 33 for his worldly and nearsighted understanding of the Messiah, he then, as we see in verse 34, calls a crowd of people over to himself with his disciples. Which seems to indicate here that what Jesus Christ was about to say wasn't just for his 12 disciples, but that instead it was a message, church, for all who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ initially says to the crowd and to his 12 disciples here in verse 34 is that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we will begin here this morning, church, with simply the first part of that statement. Or where Jesus Christ says that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Meaning that if anyone wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple of Jesus Christ, that they have got to be willing then to deny themselves. Or as other translations put it, to renounce themselves or to disown themselves, forsake themselves, ignore themselves, forget about themselves, and not simply follow the ways of the world and care only about themselves. Or to put it another way, the Christian life or the way of the disciple of Jesus Christ is not to live in a way whereas they desire to make themselves the focal point of their lives, but instead it is to deny themselves and in doing so make Jesus Christ the focal point of their lives. Which means then, church, that this whole worldly idea that is out there today of me just doing me, or me just living for me, or me only doing what's best for me, what feels right to me, what is profitable to me, and what aligns with my own fleshly desires and interests for that way of life, according to Jesus Christ, simply will not fly for any of his disciples, since the true disciple of Jesus Christ will willingly deny themselves, forsake themselves, renounce themselves, and as we see in verse 34, take up their cross and follow Jesus Christ. Now we all know, church, that Jesus Christ was indeed crucified on a cross and that he carried that cross, was nailed to that cross, 
hung on that cross, was pierced on that cross, crushed on that cross, and gave up his life for many on that cross. And thus what Jesus Christ here, when he says that if you want to be my disciple, that you've got to be willing to take up your cross and to follow me, what he's getting at here, church, is that if you've got to be willing to follow me, even to the point of death, or as James Brooks describes it, that you've got to be willing Christian to abandon and to relinquish and to give up and to lose absolutely everything that this world has to offer, including that of life itself, in order to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. Which means then, Christian, just very practically speaking here, that you've got to be willing to follow Jesus Christ then, not only to the point of being picked on by others, and not only to the point of being made fun of at work, And not only to the point of losing your job or your paycheck or your house, your car, your money or all those fancy vacations that your family loves to take, but that you've also got to be willing, Christian, to follow Jesus Christ even to the point of persecution and affliction and oppression and even that of death. Which naturally then leads to the question, why? For why would anyone then want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ if it means that we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus Christ even to the point of persecution and suffering and death? And Jesus Christ, he begins to answer that question for us in verse 35 by stating that whoever would save his life will lose it But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And that whoever desires to save their physical life here on earth, church, and not deny themselves, and that they do not live for Jesus Christ, and do not follow Jesus Christ, and do not submit to the ways of Jesus Christ, but instead live only for themselves and for their own fleshly desires, that in the long run, those who do that church will ultimately then lose their life since they will not receive the gift of eternal life or become part of the kingdom of God forever. Whereas those who are willing, church, to lose their life here on earth for the sake of the gospel and to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow the ways of Jesus Christ, no matter the cost, that those people then will end up saving their lives since they will be the ones, church, who will receive the gift of eternal light and become part of the kingdom of God forever which was most certainly a lesson learned by the character Faithful in John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. For if there is one chapter in this book that my children always anticipate with just a slight bit of concern, for it is the chapter when the main character Christian and his dear friend named Faithful visit that a Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair, if you are unaware of the allegory here, was a fair that was set up in a town that was owned by the wicked prince. And at this fair, things like honors and titles, lust and pleasure, silver and gold, prostitutes and precious stones were all made available to that of the townspeople. However, when Christian and Faithful had to walk through this fair on their way to the celestial city, 
they refused to buy or to partake in any of the fair's pleasures, which led to the townspeople becoming very angry with them, and eventually then led to Christian and faithful both being beat up, put into cages, and brought before the judge of the town, a judge by the name of Judge Hategood. And when Judge Hategood asked for Christian to speak, and to respond to the allegations that were brought against him by three members of the town named Envy, Superstition, and Pickthank, Faithful boldly said to the judge that anyone or anything in this town that is against our God and his word opposes Christianity and thus is fit for hell. And with that, it was soon decided by the jury that Faithful was indeed guilty of rebelling against their evil laws in thought, in deed, and in word, and was sentenced to death. And thus the townspeople then cruelly beat Faithful, stabbed him with swords and knives, threw stones at him, and then finally burnt him to death at the stake. However, as soon as Faithful died, a heavenly chariot came and carried him through the clouds directly to the celestial gate. And thus, in light of that church, let us all then be sure this morning, as we personally evaluate our lives right here, right now, that there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that we value more, or that we love more, adore more, or that we'd be unwilling to give up in our lives for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and for the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, since the true disciple of Jesus Christ, church, will be willing to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow Jesus Christ, no matter the cost brings us to point number two, which is this. Do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ or his words, since it will lead to Jesus Christ being ashamed of you. Point number two, do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ or his words, since it will lead to Jesus Christ being ashamed of you. Verses 36 through 38. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So in light of Jesus Christ just telling his disciples and that of the entire crowd who have gathered around him at this time, that whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Jesus then, he goes on to rhetorically ask in verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or to put it another way, what good is it for someone to gain the greatest job in the world, 
or to gain all the money in the world or to gain the most glamorous house in the world, the fastest car in the world, the nicest clothes in the world, and to vacation to all the nicest places in this world, only to then reject Jesus Christ, lose their own soul, and to be cast into hell forever? And the answer to that question, church, is that it is no good for them at all, especially since, as we go on to see in verse 37, that there is absolutely nothing, church, that a man can give in return for his soul, in that even, church, if we were to have Bill Gates' type of money, or Jeff Bezos' type of money, or even that of Elon Musk and his $271 billion type of money, that we still would not have enough to redeem our own soul and to buy that of eternal life. Since, as Eckerd Schnebel puts it, eternal life simply cannot be bought, but instead only comes by following Jesus Christ, by denying ourselves, by accepting the shame of the cross, and by being committed to the gospel. And with that, church, Jesus Christ then, and pulling absolutely no punches here, he goes on to say to the crowd in verse 38, that whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And that whoever is ashamed of Jesus Christ, church, and humiliated by the teachings of Jesus Christ, and embarrassed by the words of Jesus Christ, so much so that they ultimately then reject that of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, does come again in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels on the day of judgment, so too will he, Jesus Christ then, church, also be ashamed of them and ultimately then cast them into the depths of hell forever and thus do not ever then, brother Christian, sister Christian, allow yourself to be swayed by this world or to begin thinking that now all of a sudden that you should be affirming all the things of this world and not that of Jesus Christ. Because even if this world Christian were to celebrate you, and to praise you, and to love you, and to glorify you for always being on the right side of history, and for always openly affirming and standing for all the depraved humanistic stances of our day. For what then would any of that vanity profit you, Christian, if on the day of judgment Jesus Christ ended up being ashamed of you and saying to you, depart from me, for I never knew you. And the answer to that question is, it would profit you absolutely nothing. Therefore, let us never fail to forget then, Christian, that the sufferings that we may face at this present time as we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus Christ, that they will be nothing, and I mean nothing compared to the glory that will one day be revealed to us, and thus because of that, we have absolutely Absolutely no reason then, brother Christian, sister Christian, to ever be ashamed of the gospel. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, 
I want to do so by beginning with the non-Christian who was here first. And by sharing with you, non-Christian, that the reason why no one ever has to be ashamed of the gospel or embarrassed by the gospel or unwilling to give up everything for the sake of the gospel is because the gospel is non-Christian, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Meaning that it is the good news, non-Christian, that God the Father sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins by initially living for us, non-Christian, the life that we could never live. And that although Jesus Christ was tempted by sin, just like you and I, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he never, ever sinned, but instead lived a holy and righteous and sinless life here on earth. And in doing so, non-Christian, fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely, all for the very children of God. However, that is not all that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came into this world to accomplish. And I say that because Jesus Christ not only lived for us the life that we could not live, but he also then paid the price for our sins, not Christian, that we could not pay by willingly giving up his life on a cross at Calvary and by dying a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned, which completely then appeased and satisfied non-Christian the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, because of that, three days later than non-Christian, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, who poured out his blood for many on that cross at Calvary, he didn't then stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and in doing so declared to the world that he had indeed defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and that he now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. to the Christian who was here today. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, for as we close this morning, I'd like to do so in light of our calling to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to be willing to follow Jesus Christ even to the point of death. Which, make no mistake about it, Christian, is easier said than done. 
And I will be completely honest with you all here this morning, church, for there are times I wonder in my heart of hearts if I really would have the courage to do just that, and that I'd truly be willing to preach a sermon for Jesus Christ that might get me thrown into jail. Or that if I'd truly be willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ, even if I might never be able to see my family again. Or that if I'd truly be willing to follow in the footsteps of all the past Christian martyrs and literally die for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to me it's obvious, church, that in the strength of my own might that I absolutely would not and could not. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, here is the wonderful news that I want to encourage you all with this morning and that of my own soul with here this morning as well. That it will not be the strength of our own might church that will empower us on the day of persecution, but that instead it will be the strength of our Lord's most powerful and authoritative might. Church historian Stephen Nichols in describing the life of Roland Taylor, a 16th century Protestant preacher, he shared that Taylor was appointed to the post of bishop in a small town in England called Hadley, but that much not was known about his ministry there outside of his faithful preaching of the word of God. And yet during the reign of Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, Taylor was summoned to London and put into jail leaving behind him in Hadley his wife and his nine children. And after two years of imprisonment, Taylor was taken back to Hadley by a sheriff's guard in order to be burned at the stake. Nevertheless, just five days before Taylor died, he wrote these words to his family. For he wrote, I say to my wife and to my children, the Lord gave you unto me, and the Lord has taken me from you and you from me. But still, blessed be the name of the Lord. For I believe that they were blessed who die in the Lord. God cares for the sparrows and for the hairs of our heads, and I have found him to be more faithful and more favorable than any father or husband. Therefore, trust in him, trust in him by the means of our dear Savior, Christ's merits. Believe, love, fear, and obey him. And pray to him, for he has promised to help you. Count me not as dead, for I shall certainly live and never die. I go before you, and you shall follow after me to our long home. I leave you to the only omnipotent. And then on the day of his death, as another church historian shared, Taylor, as he was being taken by the sheriff's guard to the place of his execution, was asked by the sheriff, how do you feel? To which Taylor replied, God be praised, Master Sheriff, never felt better, for I am now almost home. I lack but two more miles to go, and then I will get to my father's house. And that church was not just some made-up story about some made-up character in a book, for that was about a real man in a real place at a real time who was willing to give up everything for the sake of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I do not know at this time, brother Christian, sister Christian, what kind of suffering may eventually fall upon you, nor do I know what kind of 
opposition you may be called to face, nor even do I know what kind of persecution you might at some point be called to endure. However, what I do know, Christian, is that whatever suffering or opposition or persecution that you will end up facing for the sake of Jesus Christ, that you will be able to endure it by the power of your God, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and that the same power that gave Roland Taylor here and Stephen and James the son of Zebedee and Polycarp and Helen Sturk and Tyndale and Ridley and Latimer and Rogers and all the other martyrs down through the ages, the courage needed to stare death right between the eyes and to still take up their cross and follow Jesus Christ is the same power that will be given to you, Christian, so that you can faithfully endure whatever persecution may end up coming your way. And thus, because of that, never be tempted then, Christian, to be ashamed of Jesus Christ or to deny Jesus Christ or to not be willing to pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ for fear of suffering some kind of persecution in the name of Jesus Christ because you have a God Christian who will sustain you, empower you, strengthen you, and will be faithful to complete the good work that he started in you no matter what persecution you may have to face. And thus fear no burden, Christian. Bear your cross faithfully, Christian, and never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christian, since the grace of God will be sufficient for you, Christian, to endure whatever suffering may ultimately come your way. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body quite simply value our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ above all else above our jobs and our comforts, our houses and our cars, our titles and our prestige, and above all the other desires of the flesh. So much so that we never then, Father, become ashamed of your Son, Jesus Christ, but that we instead, when those temptations to deny and to reject and to be embarrassed by your Son, Jesus Christ, do come our way, that we rest in the fact, Father, that your grace will be sufficient for us in all that we have been called to endure. And thus, let us always then be willing, as disciples of Jesus Christ and as members of the family of the Most High God forever, to always be willing then to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus Christ, since he is the only way that leads to the celestial city and toward a life that is everlasting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, when we are weak, you are strong, and you have told us that your grace is sufficient for us, that you will complete every good work that you have started in us, and Father, although we may be fearful of what persecution may come upon us. Father, we know that we will be able to endure it because of the power that now rests in us, the God of the heavens that now abides in us, and the Spirit of God that now comforts us. Conforte, with strength, the one who comes and strengthens us.
Father, when these times do come, and we know that those who confess the name of Jesus Christ can expect suffering to fall upon them, Lord, let us not rely on our own strength or our own might. Let us fall onto our knees and rely on you, God, knowing that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you will give us all the grace we need to remain faithful till the day that you come again. Father, let us never, no matter what this world does, let us never become ashamed of the gospel because in it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, church, who believes. Amen.